Welcome to Lydiard Law with Paul Cott. Tips and tricks for your legal issues. Understanding the different salary awards is tricky enough. A recent set of changes has made it even trickier for employers to do the right thing and pay their staff correctly without falling foul of the law. To help us get a grip of the new salary clauses is Paul Cott, Principal at Law on Lydiard. Paul, welcome. So what are the new changes to the annual salary provisions? So as a result of a Fair Work Commission decision last year, from the first pay period after the 1st of March 2020, if the employer pays an annualised salary and there's an award covering the employment, which there's not always an award applicable, so for example, lawyers are not covered by an award and neither are accountants. If there's an award that applies to the employment, then there's amended annualised salary clauses in the awards and so they've introduced a whole raft of changes that are quite onerous on employers. We've already had some feedback from employers that they need to do, their administrative burden has just increased a fair bit as a result of this. There's a whole lot of record keeping requirements, annual reconciliations and so forth. So I think there's about 19 awards that are that are affected by this. I'm not sure whether leading up to it, there was really adequate notice about this because it seems to me that it's been since the 1st of March when the changes came into effect that I'm now getting inquiries about it only after. So the people are a little bit behind the eight ball on it. but So that's a very broad brush summary of the changes so far. Well, people tend to do that, don't they? They uh, After the fact, when changes yeah. are brought in, then they decide what they should be they doing. They do. And, and the thing about that is that I don't really recall seeing very much written about that up until recently myself. Uh, maybe a little bit in February to say these changes are coming out in a few weeks. And then it just seemed to jump to, like, about the 7th of March, I think I started getting inquiries about it. Well, what's, what does this all mean? <laughs> now, which awards do the changes apply to? How many? And do you have any examples? Yeah, so I think there's the Clark's Private Sector Award, which is a very common award covering a lot of admin employees. That um, applies. The, the Banking, Finance and Insurance Award applies as well. I think that there's a manufacturing award which applies, which is very common. Um, as I said just before, there's about 19 awards, and I think altogether there's around 70. So it's not it's not all of them. And by the way, it doesn't cover part-time and casuals. It's only for full-time employees, only covered by a listed award. So the awards are split for these purposes into three categories. And when I say categories, we're talking about that the changes to the model clauses, there's three different changes. What's meant by annualised salary? So what, what an annual salary is that they it's a salary governed not by how many hours that have been worked. It's an annual salary, say, you know, 80K a year, that's meant to cover all payments, whether it's an allowance or overtime. And there's not a strict accounting for how many hours are worked. It's basically... We pay you 80k. You do the job, and that's the arrangement. You know, in a broad brush sense. Obviously, there's more to it than that, but that's what an annualised salary is. If the new requirements are too onerous, at least initially, is there a way around having to put the change requirements in place? Yeah, there is. So you can draft what's called an offset clause. Um, and the Fair Work Commission, when they handed down this decision last year, did say that even if you potentially covered by the award 
and pay your annualised salary. You don't have to come under this arrangement. You can make your own arrangements. And that's, if there's a contract, you can insert what's called an offset clause, which basically says to the employee, which they obviously have to agree, agree to it, well, in most cases, that in respect to overtime and annual leave loading and tools and allowance monies, this annual salary covers all those things. So the, obviously the employer needs to ensure that they're not getting underpaid, and so they need to do the sums, but perhaps more importantly, the employer does too, has to do the mathematics and work out whether they are genuinely paying enough to cover all those other extra bits on top of just their normal wage. And what I'm finding a trend to is that a lot of businesses pay their employees above award, and that's good. But the issue is, are you paying enough above the award, particularly when there might be chances where the employees are doing some overtime? That's where it can get tricky. And that also with the overtime is that if the overtime varies, so it might be one hour in one week, two hours in another week, none for four weeks, and then four hours in another week. So that's where the reconciliation requirements come in. So there has to be reconciliation done every year, but there might also have to be reconciliations done in each pay period to ensure that the employees are not getting underpaid. It's, it's quite complicated, isn't it, for employers? It is. It's really complicated. I had a comment today, basically, where the, the owner of the business was up in arms about it and said, well, they've now got to track the hours of the employees that they work, sign on and sign off. Right. Basically like the old Bundy clock thing, where you clock in and say, I started at nine, my break was here to here, and then I finished at this time. That's what people are going to have to do now, either in paper or electronically. Because no matter, that's the thing, no matter how honest you want to be as an employer, you might just make a mistake, miss a payment and without meaning to do so. Oh, for sure. I mean, I don't like wage theft. If it's wage theft, it's an inference in that word that the employer is doing it deliberately. But that's not always the case. Employers sometimes generally make errors and as a result of this it's probably more likely that errors are going to be made whereas the whole intent and purpose of the legislation probably or of the case and the decision was to ensure the underpayments were not made now it might have increased the risk so and I'm not saying this because you know come and see me but I think people might need to get advice about this to get it right yeah yeah what's been the impetus do you think for these changes in a system where arguably there are already such onerous record-keeping and other obligations by employers. Yeah, they are, and they're increasing those, but I think the impetus has come from the recent, or when I say recent, in the last year in particular, but even prior to that, underpayments in the media. We've got the big organisations, all the well-known ones that are in the media, I'm not going to name any names, and this, I think, helps to address some of the underpayment issues, but... I think a lot of the time is that in the media they're saying, well, certain companies are making errors and that's how the issues have arisen. To me, these changes, as I've just said, are making it again even more likely that errors are going to be made. So it seems to sort of defeat the policy of the legislation in a a way or the the changes to say, well, now we're increasing the burden on you as far as record-keeping goes. And by the way, if you do make errors, we're not potentially not going to penalise you for it. Because that's the other thing worth mentioning about this is it, if you get it wrong and make underpayments, there's stiff penalties in, it can be imposed, plus all the back payments have got to be made. Mm. 
What are the other payments which an annualised salary must compensate for if the employer takes up the option of an annual salary under the relevant awards? So annual leave loading and overtime in particular and any other allowances like travel allowances and tool allowances and all those types of things. And I think that the complexity comes in with overtime, like I mentioned before, when overtime varies. So in a way, when you do these annualised salaries, you're estimating it. You're saying that, you know, we'll say we'll say we'll pay you an extra ten grand on top of your normal salary for estimated overtime, but when you work it out over the whole course of the year, it might be that you've underpaid them. So you need to make that reconciliation at the end of the twelve months, or when the agreement's terminated, or when the employment's terminated. Now you need to do a reconciliation as well, but it might also be that you have to do a reconciliation every pay period because if they've done a lot of overtime in one week which exceeds your estimation or the outer limit of overtime hours which you estimate, you then need to probably pay some overtime then, which is good in a way because then it ensures that the employee is not getting underpaid and they don't have to wait for their overtime payment until the end of the year, the adjustment. But um, it just really increases the administrative burden on employers. Now, when do these changes take place? Well, they, they came into effect on the 1st of March 2020, so they start in the very first pay period on or after that day. So they're in effect now. You need to be on top of it already. They've already started. That's Paul Cott, Principal at Law on Lydiard. And that ends this episode of Lydiard Law. Any legal issues you'd like to discuss with Paul, go to lawonlydiard.com.au. Paul Cott and I look forward to discussing more legal issues next episode. Until then, I'm Chris Ashmore. Thanks for listening. Listener.